when you hear about the death, burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, how do you react? What are your first thoughts? How does it go on to affect your thinking and daily life? Last week, we saw two despondent and confused disciples on the road to Emmaus. They were transformed by hearing God's word opened up and the necessity of Jesus' humiliation and exaltation explained to them. Their hearts burned within them as they heard the scripture explained. Now, here in Acts chapter 5, we are back with the apostles before the council. Peter and the others had preached with great clarity, verses 29 to 32, leaving no room for ambiguity. It was all about Jesus being raised from the dead after they had slew him and hanged him on a tree. There are three reactions here in this passage. Which one of these is yours? Firstly, let us note that there was murderous hatred. If you have very modern ideas that deny Christ's resurrection, and perhaps you see the preaching of the gospel as the, the greatest evil in the world, join the club. The Sadducees got there first. In Ecclesiastes Chapter 1, verse 9, we read, The things that hath been, it is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. We have new technology, that is true. But inside, we are the same. Our basic thoughts, motivations, have not changed. There's nothing new in those that deny the miraculous. These men on the council were religious, but they denied the resurrection. They denied the possibility of miracles. You may remember that it was the Sadducees who, in Matthew chapter 22, verse 23, asked the question about a woman who ended up marrying a family of brothers after each in turn had died. We read there in verse 28 that they asked a question. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven? They were trying to tie Jesus up in knots with their foolish ideas. These Sadducees had been presented with the truth 
On the day of Pentecost, the crowd had heard a similar message about Jesus, his death, his resurrection. Acts chapter 2 verse 37. When they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Many in that crowd were convicted of their sin before the Holy God, and they desired forgiveness. What a contrast it is in verse 33 of chapter 5, when we see these Sadducees. When they heard that, they were cut to the heart. This was not a sorrow that worked repentance unto salvation, that they were cut by the truth preached, but instead of convicting them and turning them to repentance and faith, they were filled with an angry hatred. As Ahab blamed Elijah for troubling Israel during the drought, when in fact it was Ahab's sin which had brought the judgment, so the Sadducees saw the apostles as being uh, the problem. Stop preaching Jesus and his resurrection and we will all be living in paradise seems to have been their reasoning. Obviously, that is not true. Jesus taught what true love is. He healed the sick. He denounced sin. All those things that corrupted society and make life unbearable. But we cannot of our own willpower make society perfect. We cannot by imposing laws one after another clean everything up and make it run smoothly. Individually, we are not as bad as we might be. However, none of us are good before God. Every aspect of our thinking and actions has been contaminated by sin. How do you react when you are told that you are a sinner before the Holy God? It is easy to become angry and to hit out or to point at others saying that they are worse. We need a sense of overwhelming sorrow. We need to agree with God's verdict. Romans 3 verse 23 All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. These Sadducees took counsel to slay the apostles. When sinners conspire together, they multiply the evil. They had begun with a ban on preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus, and, and now they want to, to kill the apostles. 
they had a bitter resentment of the truth. If you turn the page over to the end of Acts chapter 7, you will see the reaction to Stephen's preaching. In Acts 6 verse 15, we know that the members of the council were there. And all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on Stephen, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. These were the same men who wanted to kill the apostles. At the end of chapter 7, after Stephen's great proclamation of the truth, we find what they did. Verse 57, Then they cried out with a loud voice, and stopped their ears, and ran upon him with one accord, and cast him out of the city, and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. This was a great conspiracy of evil against one of Christ's witnesses. This was the group who wanted to kill the apostles. And they went on to kill Stephen. Preaching the good news of Jesus Christ brings a fragrance to people. Second Corinthians chapter 2 verse 16 explains to the one we are the savour of death unto death and to the other the savour of life unto life. The same message fills some with a sense of resentment and bitterness. Highlighting that they are under the sentence of judgment. But to others, the sweetness of the gospel message is salvation. They are turned to repentance and faith. Every hint of the gospel speaks judgment and everlasting destruction to those who despise it. The apostles proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection with clarity. The Sadducees hated it. What about you? I hope this is not your reaction. I hope that you do not hate the good news of Jesus Christ. Secondly, let us note that there was pragmatic indifference. When the apostles preached the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, there was one man on the council 
who stayed calm. Verse 34, meet Gamaliel, a Pharisee, a doctor of the law. As a Pharisee, he was a man with zeal for the law of God, at least the law as he saw it in the light of tradition. Later, Paul, who was also a Pharisee, would say that he was, Philippians chapter 3 verse 6, as touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. He had tried as hard as he could to honour the law and tradition. The Pharisees believed in miracles and in the resurrection. So were rivals, perhaps the opposition to the Sadducees on the council. Gamaliel was a doctor of the law, a teacher of God's word. Saul of Tarsus was a student of his. We hear about this in his statement of defense, Acts chapter 22, verse 3. I am verily a man, which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God, as ye all are this day. Gamaliel was respected for his understanding of the law and for his ability to teach it. He was probably the preeminent teacher of his day. It strikes me that as such, he should have been able to have met those two disciples on the road to Emmaus and explained in all the scriptures the things concerning Christ. Luke Chapter 24, verse 26. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? He should have heard the teaching, seen the signs and resurrection of Jesus as the fulfillment of God's promises. Instead, we hear him say, verse 38, if this counsel the teaching of Jesus, be of men, it will come to naught. He put Jesus on the same level as these others he refers to, who had tried to stir things up, but whose movements after their deaths had disappeared completely. He would have known, though. Indeed, at least he should have known that success, apparent success, was not the standard to judge a prophet by. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 22, we see that if what a, a prophet said failed to come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. Thou shalt not be afraid of him. Maybe that 
was the way that Gamaliel was thinking. But he had forgotten something. Have a look at Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder come to pass, whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods which thou hast not known, and let us serve them, thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God proveth you to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Ye shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and ye shall serve him and cleave unto him. And that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he hath spoken to turn you away from the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of bondage to thrust thee out of the way which the Lord thy God commanded thee to walk in, so shalt thou put the evil away from the midst of thee. A prophet being successful in his predictions, was not proof that that prophet was of the Lord. Was not proof that he was right and to be followed. The point is very clearly made that the Lord could test them. The Lord your God proveth you. Some prophets spoke things that came true, but they also, verse 2 there, said, let us go after other gods. In verse 5, he has spoken to turn you away from the Lord your God. And Gamaliel should have known You do not judge a prophet by his apparent success. You must judge him in the light of Scripture and Scripture alone. Only if the teaching was true to Scripture and the prophecy came to pass was the prophet to be accepted. This was the standard that Gamaliel should have applied to Jesus and his disciples. This was how those at Berea reacted to Paul's preaching. They examined his preaching in the light of Scripture. By the way, that is what you should do too. Gamaliel was saying, wait and see if it prospers. Then we will know. He had forgotten that the psalmist who had nearly despaired when he had looked at who seemed to succeed when he said, Psalm 73 verse 12, Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase 
and riches. We must remember Matthew 5 verse 45. God sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Today is not the day of judgment. The latter end of the wicked must be clearly seen. But today is the day of grace. Gamaliel, though, did open the door, verse 39, to the possibility that Jesus' disciples' teaching was of God. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it, lest haply ye be found even to fight against God. If he really thought that, he should have called for a careful review. Instead of, verse 40, going along with the beating of the apostles. This was a terrible act of intimidation. Even by Gamaliel's reasoning, they did not deserve to be beaten. Fear of future punishment was meant to keep them quiet. Gamaliel sounded reasonable and neutral, but he too was an enemy of Christ. There can be no neutrality with Christ. As Jesus said, Matthew 12, verse 30, He that is not with me is against me. Gamaliel had said, If, if it be of God. But he was too late. What more evidence could he be given? All the teaching ministry, the miracles, the cleansing of the temple, and then the resurrection itself proved beyond doubt that Jesus was indeed the Son of God, the Messiah. And Gamaliel was a doctor, a teacher of the law. He should have known. This was not a time for sitting on a fence. When God's word is clear, you are responsible to receive it with repentance and faith. And I plead with you, don't receive the grace of God in vain. Second Corinthians 6 verse 2. Now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You cannot be neutral with Jesus. But finally, in complete contrast, note the reaction of the apostles. They had just been severely beaten. Now they're being let go. And and verse 41 tells us, the apostles departed from the council, rejoicing that they had been accounted worthy to suffer shame for Jesus' name. Instead, 
of becoming resentful, bitter, and angrily seeking revenge, or, on the other hand, hiding themselves away in fear, this group of men rejoiced and took action. This joy was was not just because Jesus had risen from the dead. It went far beyond that. They had been blessed. They had received a gift from the Lord. They had been counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Paul, writing to the saints at Philippi, said, Philippians 1, verse 27, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you, or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which he saw in me are now here to be in me. It is part of the witness of Christ's disciples to follow him in the path of suffering. It is a testimony to those who refuse to believe. This is the exact opposite of Gamaliel's logic. It sees the greater purpose of God in suffering. There is a confidence that Suffering for Christ is both for the glory of God and for the good of the disciple today. First Peter chapter 4 verse 14 If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye for the spirit of glory and of God rested upon you. On their part is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. And remember that time when Paul and Silas were in the jail at Philippi. They had been beaten. They were locked away. And it was dark. Were they without hope? No. They were filled with praise. And their testimony led to that jailer being filled with conviction and a desire to be saved. This is how the Lord works out his glorious gospel. Not only did the disciples rejoice, but they preached the good news. Verse 42, And daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. The disciples had prayed for boldness. And once more, their prayer is answered. The good news of Jesus Christ is not that you are guaranteed all the pleasures that this world offers. Not at all. Rather, 
It is forgiveness of your sins through the merit of Christ's sacrifice. It is reconciliation with your Creator. It is new life because Jesus rose from the dead and ever liveth to make intercession for you. The call is to see yourself and this world as God sees it and to look to Christ in repentance and faith knowing that he is risen from the dead. Amen.